Today we start a, a new sermon series, and it's called Free Indeed, and I love both of those words. I love free and I love indeed. And we're going to talk about, over the next four weeks, how to break free from that thing that holds you back. Because for most of us, there's, there's that one thing that keeps showing up on our list. It shows up on our resolution list in January. It shows up on our to-do, to-don't list when spring rolls around. It shows up on our this-is-the-summer-when-I-finally list. It's the one thing that keeps holding us back. And my prayer for this series is, is that we will discover the missing ingredient, the missing piece that has kept you from breaking free in that area. Because you've tried and tried in your own power, your own strength, it hasn't happened because something is missing. What's missing? That's what we're going to find out. Our John chapter 8 is our theme verse for this series. It's on your notes on the screen. It says, to the Jews who had believed him. And I want you to notice that Jesus is talking to people who had believed him. These are believers, and yet they're still struggling to be free in some area of their life. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They're believers, they're disciples, they're followers of Christ, but they still need to discover the truth that will set them free. There's a truth that they have to apply to their life in order to find true freedom. Now, I'd asked you back in January this year uh, to give us a year of your life, to just lean into the process, to come faithfully to the weekend services, to join a small group, to take our growth track classes, and to get plugged into our dream team. And at the beginning of the year, I made you a promise that if you would do that, that 2015 could become the best year of your life. And many of you have taken that challenge. And I just want to share a testimony with you that Pastor Don got this, uh, this past weekend in uh, Rockbrook for Kids. It says, Rockbrook for Kids has changed my life in such a good way. I look forward to serving each week and look for ways to help out in the twos and threes when I can. I am loving the energy that these little kids bring each week. I have found such joy in this ministry. I feel like I'm cheating in my ministry because this is so rewarding. And there's six exclamation marks. God is moving in my heart through these kids. I have found myself opening his word and studying it more because of our lesson. And I have a firm desire to be a, big, to be a part of his big plan. My husband and I spent about seven years at Rockbrook just sitting in the service, joining a small group here and there. But now we serve and are part of a faithful small group. I am so thankful for our church and the dedication of the Rockbrook for Kids family. Happy Easter, Pastor Don. Thank you for all you do. God is moving at Rockbrook. And I genuinely believe that for some of you, this series is going to be when it happens. This is going to be where you're going to become free indeed. Now notice how, how these people answered Jesus. It's a very interesting phrase here. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Let me clear something up for you here. You can never be free indeed if you refuse to admit that you're in bondage. You know, if your attitude is, I don't have any bondage, I don't have any issues, I don't have any struggles, I don't have any hurts, habits, or hang-ups, really, I'm fine, then you are a slave of your denial. Okay? What does the Bible really say about our bondage to sin? We're going to look at that because you've got to understand it in order to break through your denial. You've got to understand you are not as free, you are not as fine, you are not as okay as you think you are. 
How many of you know someone who has some sort of addiction in their life? I mean, you look at their life and they have an addiction to drugs or alcohol, gambling, pornography. They have an addiction that is cheating them out of what God wants them to be. How many of you know, how many of you know somebody who's an addict? Yeah, go ahead, put your hands way up. Yeah, yeah. How many of you are addicts? Okay, a lot of hands go up. Not as many hands go up. Okay, and for some of you, you know, that raised your hand on the first one, you know, you were actually thinking of some of the people who didn't raise their hand on the second one. Okay? Because that's just the way it works. You know, the, the, the problem is, is that we have to identify right away uh, our, our, our bondage in order for us to make any progress in it. You've got to break through the denial. Now, let me define addiction this way. Addiction is when you are doing something you don't want to do and not doing something that you want to do. You know, I want to change my life in a certain area, but I, I just can't. I keep doing the things that I, that I don't want to. And you might say, well, Kelly, how can you say that about me? You've never met me. I've never been an addict. I've never been a slave of anyone. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And bam, Jesus just nails us all. We're slaves. We're addicts. Look what he says next. This is huge. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family. Jesus says, because of your slavery to sin, you are missing out. You, you are missing out on the benefits of, of your Christianity, even as a believer. And then look at this. But a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be, say it with me, big and loud, free indeed. That's what we're going, going for this next four weeks together. We want to discover how to be free indeed. But in order to do that, we've got to address the issue of our slavery, our bondage. Why is it that we still have these areas of our life where we struggle to do the right thing? The Apostle Paul addresses it in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, brothers and sisters, notice again, these people are believers in Jesus Christ. These aren't spiritually dead people. These aren't lost people. These are people who've trusted in Christ. But there's a problem. Says, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. You're believers, but you don't live that way. You're believers, but you're not walking in the Spirit. Instead, but as people who are still worldly. Circle that word worldly there. Some translations use the word carnal. It's the Latin word for flesh. In other words, you're not spiritual, you're fleshly. You're living according to the appetites and desires of the body. The physical part of you controls your life instead of the spiritual part. You're carnal, fleshly. That's why this message is titled Christian con carne. Because a lot of us are Christians with flesh. You know, we're not breaking free. The, the physical is controlling us, not the spiritual. Because, it, you know, it's not how hard you're trying it's not about your willpower or resolve or inner strength. It's about how worldly we are. It's the fact that we are walking in the flesh, not walking in the Spirit. And Paul warns the Corinthians. He says, because you won't feed and fuel the Spirit, and because you want to follow the flesh, I gave you milk, not solid food. For you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. And he gives one example of what that looks like. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Paul says, you're living life on your own power. You're living like a mere human. You're not living like uh, someone who has the power of God in their life. 
Galatians 5.17, Paul says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. You have a war going on in your life right now. What's going to control your life? Your flesh, the physical, your physical desires, your lust, your appetites, your addictions, your habits. Is that going to control your life? Or is the new creation that you are in Christ, is the spiritual part of you going to control your life? Which one's going to win? And the answer is, whichever one you feed the most. Because whichever one you feed the most, that's the one that's going to win. I mean, doesn't it just make sense that if if there's a lot of worldliness in your life and not very much God, doesn't it make sense that your flesh would remain in control? But what would happen? What would happen if, instead of feeding the flesh and neglecting the spirit, what if you nourished the spirit and neglected the flesh? Obvious answer is we would become free indeed. Rest of this first. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You're not going to be able to discover real spiritual victory until you let the spiritual side of you come alive and you begin to put off, set aside the flesh. The Bible actually uses the term to mortify the flesh. To mortify means to destroy the strength, vitality, and function of, especially by abstinence. You starve that sinful habit to death by just not doing it. And you feed the Spirit, and the Spirit wins. And Jesus talks about this, and he not only gives the problem, he gives the solution. Look at Matthew 17. We get the problem and the solution. It says, when they, that's the disciples and Jesus, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on me, he said, on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. Boy is possessed by a demon who's trying to either burn him to death or drown him to death. And this father is a great concern to the father. He says, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Now, this was a unique situation because Jesus had given the disciples power and had sent them out, told them, go heal people, heal the sick, cast out demons. Go preach in my name and do great things. And they had great success. They'd been healing people. They'd been casting out demons. And all of a sudden, this one won't go. This one doesn't work. What's worked in other situations doesn't work in this one. And so everyone, including the disciples, are asking, why isn't it working this time? Watch what Jesus says. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. He uses two words. You want to know why it's not working this time? unbelieving and perverse. And and let me roll this over into your world. You want to know why there are some areas of your life where you just can't find freedom. There are some areas where you experience freedom, but there are some areas where you are still struggling with defeat. You've conquered some sins, but others just hang on. Why? Circle the words unbelieving and perverse. We're going to come back to those in just a moment. Jesus says, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. So the disciples couldn't heal the boy. Jesus could. Why? Jesus says there's two words. There's two problems. The first one is unbelieving. 
And let's define unbelieving as not connected to God enough. You're a believer, so you're connected to God, but the connection with God is not enough. I mean, these are believers. These are the disciples. But they didn't have enough of a connection with God. And you ever have an appliance or a tool that had a loose connection? You know, it's connected, but the connection is loose. And because the connection is loose, it doesn't work right. It doesn't work all the time. It works some of the time. Some of the times it doesn't work at all because the connection is loose. Okay? Jesus says, that's your problem. But he didn't just say unbelieving. He uses another word here, and he says perverse. And, and that word also means twisted. And, and we're going to define perverse as too connected to the world. The problem is you're not connected to God enough and you're too connected to the world. And that combination causes you to have some victory in the areas where you're connected to God, but it also causes you to have defeat in the areas where you're too connected to the world. I mean, wouldn't you admit that the areas where you struggle and have failure are in those areas where you're too connected to the world? Yeah, that's just the way it works. And fortunately, Jesus gives the solution to the problem. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? And that's the question. Why is the same thing that was on your resolution list last year on your resolution list this year? Why is the same thing you struggled with on New Year's, the same thing you're struggling with at Easter, you'll be struggling with it 4th of July, Labor Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's next year. Why can't you drive this one out? He replied, because you have so little faith. In other words, it's not a physical issue. It's a spiritual issue. You know, I don't care if it's about your health, your fitness, your money, your marriage, your kids, your job, your house. It's a spiritual issue. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Now, we need to understand Jesus is speaking metaphorically here. You know, the test of your faith is not some mountain-flipping superpower like the Incredible Hulk. Okay? Mountains flip-flopping around is not the point. The point Jesus is making is he's calling us to live life on a higher level of spiritual power. So much so that he says, nothing will be impossible for you. And I just want to stop right there and just encourage you, because a lot of you have just given up. You've struggled with this for so long, you're like, it's over. I mean, it's just the way I am. It must be genetic. I mean, I've, I've gone too far too long to change. You, you don't know what I've tried, Kelly, to try and overcome this. It's over. No, Jesus says nothing is impossible with God. Don't give up. Give in. Give in to the power of the Spirit. And Jesus gives us two words in the problem, unbelieving and perverse, and he gives us two words in the solution. He says, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Watch what happens here. Prayer connects us to God. You know, this is the solution to, to being unconnected. That's, that's what makes prayer so important. And this is not the now I lay me down to sleep kind of praying. 
Okay, this, this, Jesus is talking about prayer that connects us to God. He's talking about the kind of prayer that comes from abiding in Him. Just like a vine is connected with the branch and gets its life and nourishment from the branch. Paul calls it praying without ceasing. He calls it walking in the Spirit. It's a deep-seated connection that flows out of the conviction that with Christ, nothing is impossible. And apart from Christ, I can do nothing. Prayer is, is, is connecting with God. And then fasting, fasting disconnects us from the world. You know, the purpose of fasting is not to make you hungry and miserable. You know, sometimes we think the purpose of fasting is just, I'm going to suffer enough so that God knows I'm really serious. But that's not the purpose. You know, fasting, it's not a matter of just not eating. I mean, you can fast from anything not just food, the principle here is that you use fasting as a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual discipline to deny your flesh and the things that control you. And so you can fast from food, you can fast from alcohol, you can fast from media, like TV and movies, books or magazines. You can fast from Facebook or your computer or your cell phone or whatever it is, whatever the area is where your flesh is controlling your life. What if you took that area of your life in which you're struggling. And rather than just trying to quit in your own strength, what if you brought that area of struggle out of your flesh and put it under the power of the Spirit through prayer and fasting? What would happen? What kind of difference would that make? Look at this verse, Romans 8, 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, believers, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature, what your flesh urges you to do. You don't have to be that kind of person. Paul says you are under no obligation to do what the world, the flesh, and the devil are are trying to lock you into. You have no obligation. And I'll just tell you right now, you need to know that all of hell is trying to keep you from grasping this message. Because the devil is a thief, and he's stealing your life, and he's about to get caught. And he doesn't want to get caught, because the Bible says when a thief gets caught, he's got to pay back seven times what he stole. And he doesn't want to have to do that. And so I can tell you right now, there is a battle raging in your mind. And that battle is going to rage in your mind for the next four weeks. Because the world, your own flesh, and the devil are trying to get you to believe the lie that you are obligated to continue to live the way you've always lived. And I just want to declare to you, through the promise of the Word and the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the power and presence of the Spirit, you do not have to continue to live like this. Jesus Christ wants you to be free indeed. Because look, for if you live by its dictates, if you continue to live by the flesh, you will die. You'll be back here with the same old hurt habit and hang-up saying, Kelly, man, I am dying here. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, that's what fasting does. It starves, it mortifies, it puts to death your old sinful nature. You will live. You'll live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And as children, you get all the benefits of being in the family. You're not a slave. You're a child. And I just want to call you over the next four weeks to tap into this concept of prayer and fasting, to dig into this idea of the struggle between your flesh and your spirit.
Now, this may be a new concept for some of you, but I just invite you, just try this and see what God has in store for you because it's time for you to break free. Free indeed. So prayer and fasting. Let me give you some action steps here for this process. Let me give you some verses to claim because that's very crucial. Let me just show you how to do this. Number one, you declare your dependence on God. You are not trying to do this in your own strength. You are not trying to do this in the flesh. You've tried that. It doesn't work. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so claim that. Declare your dependence on God. He wants to help you. Number two, ask for forgiveness. Just tell God you're sorry for living in the flesh instead of the spirit. Why do you have to confess? Why do you need to ask for forgiveness? Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Third thing, you need to deny your flesh and feed your spirit. You get the focus off your physical and you get it on to your spiritual. You know, you shift the focus to the spiritual aspect of your life. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Fourth thing you need to do is believe God for specific answers. The more specific your prayer and fasting becomes, the more dynamic they will become. James 4.2, you do not have because you do not ask God. You want to break your behavior down into specific bite-sized segments. You pray for specific situations, specific actions, specific temptations, specific time periods. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's lunch every day that is a, is a point of temptation for you for whatever you're struggling with. And so you just recognize that and you just pray, God, man, I am praying today from 11 to 1. I want you to be there. I want you to show up. I want, to, want this to happen. The more specific you become, the more dependent on God you become. The more you break it down into bite-sized pieces and pray about it, the more often you're going to pray about it. And what happens is, is you're not going to just pray once for this thing and think you're going to get victory. You're going to pray without ceasing. You're going to walk in the Spirit. Now, if you're going to walk in the Spirit, you must decide what you will do. And decide is a big word. Decide decide's a power word. There is power in a decision. Set your mind on things above not on earthly things. And you've got to decide because your flesh is going to go, stop, stop, you can't do this. And your flesh is going to trot out all kinds of reasons not to do what you should do. And for many of you right now, that process has already started in your mind. You're thinking of all the reasons why, well, this won't work for me. You're thinking of all the, I can't do this. You're thinking of all the reasons why, well, I can't do this this week, I'll do it next week. And you're putting it off. No, you've got to break through that mental clutter, that obfuscation. And you've got to break through it with the power of a decision. That's where being specific brings power. Because you just lay out, this is my prayer schedule. This is my specific action steps. This is what I'm going to do. You decide to shut out the worldly influences and affections. And you decide how you're going to feed the spirit, starve the flesh. And when you begin to do that, your spirit will win. Your spirit will win, and you'll break free. But number six, you've got to expect opposition and results. Both. This is a war. When you make the decision to start living according to the spirit and denying the flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil are going to come after you with everything they've got. They're going to oppose you at every turn. You are engaging in spiritual battle. That's why you've got to claim the promise. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And, you know, you expect 
opposition. That's why you put on your spiritual armor. That's why you step out in fasting and prayer because you realize this is going to be a battle. But you also not only expect opposition, you've got to expect results. That's the faith part of it. And when you expect God to move on your behalf, He will. He will. And you will be free indeed. Let's pray together. I invite you just, just, just to pray today. Just say, God, today I just want to declare my dependence on you. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. God, I pray you'll forgive me for, for living according to the flesh and not according to the Spirit. And I just humbly ask you to forgive me and grant to me your grace. And God, I just want to start today, I want to start denying the flesh and I want to start feeding the Spirit. And so help me to, to, to shift my mind, to help me to shift the focus of my life onto those things that, that are going to feed and fuel my spirit. God, help me to, 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 to break this down, to, to come to the very core issue that I'm struggling with in my life. And to direct your power to make decisions moment by moment, situation by situation. And to bring the power of the Spirit of God, the power of the resurrected Christ, the power of the promises of the Word to bear on that area. And God, I know, I know there's going to be opposition, but greater, you are greater. And so I claim through faith that I expect you to move on my behalf, God. I expect the breakthrough. I expect to become free indeed. And as you make that decision, as you pray that prayer, as you step out, God, I just pray that you'll move in this congregation, that we can be free indeed. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.